Well, God, we just uh, stand or really before you, acknowledging your greatness and your mercy, knowing that it was the will of the Father to, to kill his son. And it's not because of anything he did, but because of everything that we had done. And as a result of one man, Adam's sin crept into the world, but as a result of one man's death, Jesus Christ on the cross crucified, that we can experience life and life more abundantly. So Father, today I pray that you would speak to us, that God, with all of our doubts, with our struggles, may we be overwhelmed with and see the wonder and the grace and the mercy and love of Christ on the cross. Christ in the grave, but God, most of all, we would see the greatness of the King of kings and Lord of lords because our Christ, our Jesus, is resurrected and he is our risen Savior. And so, God, we thank you for that. We pray that you speak to us through the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How's everybody doing? Good. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be jumping around a little bit just to explain some things. And we're, we're for those of you who haven't been here, we've been doing a series called The King and His Kingdom. Um, and if you don't realize or recognize the picture that we have, we have Kansas City really upside down. That's a picture of downtown Kansas City upside down because what was expected by most people in, uh, with, the, with the coming of the Messiah, especially the Jewish people, was that the, the Messiah was going to respond in a certain way. He was going to do certain things. In other words, they expected a political ruler. They expected somebody with military might who was going to overthrow the Roman government. They expected all of these different things when the reality is when Jesus came, he kind of took the kingdom mentality that they thought was going to be set up here on earth and flipped it upside down. That's why you have things like this. Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say, if you commit adultery in your heart, you've what? Or if you, if you lust after a woman, uh, sorry, if you left, uh, lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery, all right? He does everything upside down. It's kind of, uh, up, you know, topsy-turvy, you know, he just turns everything on its head. And so if you have your Bibles in, in Matthew chapter 12, um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be part of Matthew chapter 16 because I believe one of the things that we have to look at, and I don't know where you stand at uh, when it comes to signs, but in 1970, there was a group named Five Man Electrical Band who introduced a song uh, that was redone in 1990, which is the version I know, by a group named Tesla, and it's called Signs. Signs, signs, everywhere signs. What? blocking up the scenery, you get the picture. And then maybe you're a, a, a mid to late 90s type person and you remember this group called Ace of Bass. I saw the sign and it opened up my eyes and I am... Now, I'm not gonna go any farther because you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, he listened to Ace of Bass, all right? But there are signs everywhere, are there not? I mean, could you imagine a world without signs? Which bathroom would you walk into? I don't know, take a guess. <laughs> we, we don't need to go down there, but, but, but think about trying to just get through downtown Kansas City in reality. It's already a nightmare, is it not? Like, I hate, I hate my directions on Siri. I, I really do. Because when I'm going through downtown Kansas City, it'll say, stay right, turn left. Because as you're coming, you get to the I-29, where I-29 turns into I-35, all right? And then you got, I, I always just remember, it's like exit 2Q, I think, or something like that. 
which is literally like it exits off towards the main street and all that area right there. But Siri is chaos when you get to downtown. Now think if there were no signs. Think about if you had no handicap signs, no restroom signs, no signs on the interstate, no signs into schools, no signs to hospitals. How would you know what fast food restaurant you're going to go eat at? Especially in Baptist world, you might be a little lost. If we had no signs, we would be in trouble. We would be lost. We would have no direction. But here's the funny thing about signs. Signs can oftentimes be something that we want and we really don't need. Or signs, we may have a sign that was given to us and we just decided not to pay attention to it. Like, if I want to go north on I-35 out of downtown when I'm coming across I-70, I need to hit I-29 first. It'll connect me with I-35. Or... I could just choose to keep going west, completely miss the sign, and not go where I'm going. I just go wherever the heck I want. And maybe that's the way you drive. I don't know. But the reality is signs point us in the right direction. And we're going to be looking at these signs because as we look at the king and his kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, he begins to paint a picture. And you have to remember this in Matthew. Matthew is big on what we call the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew was written to Jewish people, people who would have expected the Messiah to respond in a certain way. That's why Matthew is harshest to the Pharisees and Sadducees because the Pharisees and Sadducees were Jewish leaders who had misconstrued or misread the signs and then begin to jump in and ask what they have here. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. And listen to me, we're going to get to the resurrection. So don't think we're not gonna talk about that, but we're gonna be starting here. All right, listen to what he says in verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Now, this may be you. Maybe as a kid, maybe as an adult, maybe later, God, if you're real, then you got to show me something. God, if you're real, then you got to reveal yourself to me. Show me something that's going to be tangible. Let me see your reaction. Let me see your response. Let me see something out of you. And listen, there's nothing wrong with asking God to help you out. All right? you're going to see that the motive behind the Pharisees and Sadducees was the big deal. Their motive was not to just get a sign. Their motive was because they doubted every other sign that Jesus had already thrown out. And here's where I want you to see at this point. Most people or a lot of people still in today's culture still do this. We doubt regardless of the history or regardless of the eyewitness testimony of everything else that's gone on, we doubt and as a result of that, Jesus has a few things to say. So listen to what he says in verse 39. He answers, or Jesus answered this. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, before you ask too many questions, we're going to get there, but I'm going to explain what this sign of the prophet of Jonah means. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up. Listen to this. This is a huge indictment on the Pharisees right here because listen to what he says. This is Jesus' own words. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now one greater than Jonah is here. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? 
the very people of Nineveh repented of everything that's gone on when they heard the good news of the gospel, that Jesus was to come, that, that they needed grace, they needed mercy, they needed love. The very people of Nineveh repented of all of that. And you have to understand where Nineveh is now in today's culture. Nineveh would be modern day Syria. You guys realize that, right? And Jonah the prophet goes in to tell them about who God is and to call them to repentance. And it says that the king and all the people bent down in sackcloth and ashes and they repented for everything that had gone on. And listen to what Jesus says to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. You have to understand this part. Jesus says to them, hey, guess what? The people of Nineveh, they're gonna stand in judgment on you. Do you know what that does to the Pharisees? Because the Pharisees become livid. They're like, are you kidding me? Those people were wicked. It would much, to a certain extent, be like this. If Jesus said to the American church that the Christians of Syria were going to stand in judgment over you. Ouch. Why? Because they were asking for a sign. And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you any other sign except the sign that Jonah talked about. That just as Jonah was in the whale for three days and three nights, that Jesus would be in the tomb, in the grave. And at the result of that, though, listen, it would point to a higher, greater thing. And so the only sign Jesus says, I'm going to give you is this. And here's the reality that we begin to understand, all right? This kingdom mentality that Jesus has come to establish, and I've talked about this the last couple weeks, is this already but not yet. As a matter of fact, we just sang about it. It's an already but not yet. In other words, Jesus, when he comes, he begins to establish his kingdom, but yet it's not completed. And it won't be completed until Christ's second coming when we will be called to heaven. At that point, then he says, everything will be under him until it's handed back over to God, at which time Jesus will be in his rightful place. And so we begin to see the signs that point us to a bigger picture of what Jesus wants to do in the lives of people in the world. And so signs are huge. Signs point us in the right direction. And so what seemed like the end with Jesus' death on the cross and being buried in the grave is really just the beginning of the kingdom that God had planned in the first place. It's just the beginning of this upside down kingdom because remember, what were the people expecting? A political ruler who was gonna come in and wipe out the Romans and dominate the world and establish an earthly kingdom. And Jesus says, guess what? I'm gonna flip it upside down. The very thing you want me to do, which is to kill everybody, wipe them off the face of the earth. He said, no, instead, I'm gonna die. And as a result of my death, everybody else now, regardless of what they've done in the past, can have life through faith in Christ. That's the sign Jesus is trying to point to the big picture overall. And listen, in Matthew chapter 12, he starts it off, but then we jump over to Matthew chapter 16, because here's the Pharisees again. Matthew 12, they asked for a sign. Matthew 16, listen to what it says in Matthew 16. I love this. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus, Matthew 16, verse one, and tested him, listen, again, and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Remember what we're talking about. The kingdom of heaven, Matthew's talking about, the Pharisees and Sadducees are like, well, if you're so big and bad, why don't you show us a sign from heaven? And listen again to what he says. When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. Anybody know what that means? 
you're in the Navy, you knew what this meant. Red in the morning, well, red at night, sailor delight. Red in the morning, sailor take warning. And trust me, that was one of those things we lived by. If it was red at night, when we were out at sea, you knew it was going to be a beautiful day the next day. If it was red in the morning, you were in trouble. It was not a good promise. It was, you're like, uh-uh, this is not good. One of the worst storms we ever hit was off the coast of Taiwan. Matter of fact, we ended up being the national news because of this. The whole Nimitz battle group that I was in went north of Taiwan and came down through the Taiwanese Straits, which is between China and Taiwan. For those of you who don't realize that, and I didn't realize it at the time, I was 18, 19 years old, um, we were the first ship, and it wasn't just our ship, though, it was our whole battle group, which was 13 ships, 10 to 13 ships, some were secret, so went through the straits, which my mom then sent me a, 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 now this is snail mail days, my mom sent me a newspaper clipping cutout that says Nimitz runs in troubled waters from the national newspaper because we found out we were the first ships that had gone through those straits since 1945. And China took it as an act of aggression. Now, I knew that we were facing a storm, and I'm sure there's a bigger political picture here because there were just some things going on at that time. But one of the biggest storms I had ever seen, we had waves crashing over the deck of the flight deck. Flight deck's 80 feet off the water. And we would go down into the water and the waves would come crashing over the top of the flight deck. So when you knew the storm was coming, it was coming. But listen to what he says. So you're able to interpret the weather. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you can't interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus is saying this. In the midst of everything that you see, the resurrection is the greatest and the only or last sign that I am going to give to prove who I am. The resurrection is a result of Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' obedience to God the Father, but it's also a result of God's greatness and mercy because God promised from the get-go that he would take care of mankind, that man would no longer be held accountable for their sins because Jesus would bear the sins of, his, of the people on the cross. And so when we talk about signs, when we talk about the wonders, and we talk about everything else, I want you to remember this. If you remember anything else, remember this, that Jesus did what dead people don't normally do. This is the sign. Jesus did what dead people don't normally do. He walked out of the grave alive. That's the sign that you have to begin to understand. The Pharisees wanted a huge sign, and Jesus says, I'm going to give you a huge sign. You just got to wait for it. But the Pharisees had a point to make. So here's the question I want to ask. If that's the case, that Jesus did what dead people don't do, which the last time, I've done plenty of funerals. I have never in my life ever seen somebody get up out of a casket. And if I did, I'd probably fall over dead. So then I'd be in the casket. But Jesus did what dead people don't normally do, and that is he walked out of the grave alive. So here's the question. Why the signs? Why use signs? Why does God use signs to show who he is? Why the signs? Matter of fact, if you read the Gospel of John, John is huge on signs. The whole Gospel of John, as a matter of fact, we did it last Easter. We did all of the signs that pointed to who Jesus was. And last Easter, we wrapped up with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. 
And there's this idea of these signs, but why use signs? Number one is this, signs confirm God's plan. Whenever I went anywhere, now this is back obviously before Siri, but whenever I drove anywhere, I would plan my route. When, when, when I got stationed, in, matter of fact, I, I got stationed in Pensacola, Florida, so I drove my car from Cheyenne, Wyoming to Pensacola, Florida. I had to go through Kansas City, St. Louis, down 55, through Memphis, down that way, all right? But I had, to plan my, <laughs> I had to plan my route. Signs help me plan or help me confirm God's plan. Listen, the whole reason behind what the Pharisees were trying to do is that Jesus had been performing miracles all throughout. The Pharisees had seen him over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, if you read Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, and I think it's Luke chapter 5, there's a point where the Pharisees are standing there in this group of people. Jesus is teaching, and you might remember the story from Sunday school, but these guys rip this roof off this building so that they can lower what? A paralytic man down to Jesus. Why? Because they can't get into the room. And the Pharisees are there. And Jesus shows this great sign. Matter of fact, I'm going to jump over there to read it. I told you we're going to be over there. But Jesus, a few days later, shows this great sign. And listen to what he says. When Jesus saw their faith, Mark chapter 2, verse 5, he said to the paralytic son, or to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now listen, listen to what happens. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? Who does this guy think he is? He just told this dude this, his sins are forgiven. Why does he talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then I love what Jesus does. Now, you have to keep in mind this paralytic. If you're reading Matthew, Matthew chapter nine, starting in the first couple verses of chapter nine, this is where Jesus heals the paralytic man. But I wanted to give you a little bit more illustration to show what's going on because listen to what happens in verse eight. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their heads and he said to them, to the Pharisees, why are you thinking these things? Now, don't get me wrong, but if I'm sitting there thinking something and old, old dude calls me out and says, why are you thinking that? I'd be like, uh, who the heck are you? Because you just knew my thoughts. And he says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Listen to this. He got up, took his mat, walked out of them in full view, and this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. But listen, in Matthew, do you know what they say? The Pharisees then said, he does that with the power of Satan. And that's where Jesus says, hey, how can a house divided against itself stand? So why use signs? Because signs confirm God's plan. See, God's plan from the get-go was to preach love and grace and forgiveness, to, to take care of the very thing that is our biggest problem, which is the sins of man. Remember what he says, that you can, son, your sons are forgiven. But since you doubt, I'm just going to tell you, go ahead, pick up your mat, go on home. Signs are always used to confirm God's plan. And God's plan from the get-go was always going to be Jesus. That's what you have to begin to understand. 
The minute Adam sinned, it wasn't like God went, oh man, I got to change my plan. Jesus was always the plan. Jesus' timing was perfect. Jesus' plan was obedience to God's will. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why Jesus stayed on the cross because the love he had for each and every person, regardless, listen, regardless of whether you choose to believe it or not, the love that Jesus had for you kept him on the cross. That's why a lot of people say, well, if he was really God, he could have just got off the cross. No, because his love for you and I is what kept us there because if he got off the cross, he would have been disobedient to the Father's will. Signs confirm God's plan. And listen, rather than believe the Pharisees, or rather than believe, the Pharisees accused Jesus of doing these miracles by the power of Satan. And so really, here's where we're at. You may be a believer, you've been following Christ today for a while, maybe you grew up in church, you came to Christ at a young age, maybe you didn't do anything crazy, but I want you to experience, I want you to look deep down into the the grace and mercy that Jesus offers, and you experience the wonder that comes as the resurrection is celebrated. Secondly, listen, you may wonder how anyone could believe that Jesus rose to the grave, or that Jesus rose again. And I understand I understand confusion and doubts. I understand the fact that you can say, well, it's never happened again. It's, it's, how in the heck can you believe that? But listen, here's one of the things that Jesus begins to point out. That you and I need God's grace. And maybe in the midst of your doubt, maybe in the midst of your questioning, that God can show you exactly how it is he overcomes everything that you can face including the greatest need you have, which is life. So why use signs? Number one, signs confirm God's plan. Number two, signs show God's love, grace, and forgiveness. Listen, Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus fed 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish. Jesus had healed the paralytic, lowered through the roof. Jesus turned water into wine. All of these things, listen to me, all of these things would have been things that Pharisees, I would guarantee you, would be at. And here's the reason why. When we were in Romania, the the church there, the government-run church, Anytime the Baptist church, which is the only Baptist church, the only evangelical church in this whole city of 125,000 people, anytime that church met, the priests from the, from the, the, the Romanian church would stand outside and they would shake their head. Sometimes they would spit on the ground as people would walk by like you're, you're, you're stepping outside the bounds. And I can guarantee you the Pharisees were right there in the midst of all of Jesus' teachings, monitoring, watching, listening, looking at people who started to follow and saying, you're gonna be tossed out of the temple. You're not gonna be accepted. This man is teaching something that's false. So these Pharisees would have been doing that and it's no, no doubt that they would have been in certain situations, settings in those places, seeing those signs And listen, so when they ask for a bigger sign and Jesus says, the only sign I'm gonna give you is the sign of Jonah, they now are like, who's this guy think he is? 
A matter of fact, the reality is also this, that it was just a simple step towards them saying, that's why we want you crucified. Because you're claiming to be something that we don't believe you are. Even in the midst of all the signs he did. And here's the funny thing I always find. People say this, well, if Jesus is real, then he should show me the sign today. But here's the truth of what usually happens. Because all you got to do is watch our media. Okay. One person says one thing, another person says the other thing, and somehow they're both right, but really they're both wrong. If Jesus was here today to do the signs, do you know what would happen? People still wouldn't believe. Because deep down inside, the sinful nature wants to be what's known. Remember we talked about, if you've been here the last couple weeks, that the point of this series is to see that God's kingdom is primary and then it's never my kingdom. One of the biggest struggles in the American church is we want things our way rather than God's way. That's why most churches that have had conflict and problems in the church have problems because it's not because it's God's kingdom they're fighting for. It's because it's their kingdom. Well, music isn't the way I like it, or this isn't that way, or I'm not in control, or I don't trust this person, or blah, 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 blah. And we end up with more conflict and more problems when the reality is, in God's kingdom, conflict and problems should be nil to none because we are subservient to what Jesus wants us to do in the first place. Now listen to me, I'm not talking about something who's preaching false heresy. I'm talking about usually conflict in the church is built upon preference, not the kingdom. And so Jesus just literally lays it out. Look, signs, the signs I show, show God's grace, God's love, and God's forgiveness. Every one of them. Think about this. When he heals the paralytic, he could have easily said, sucks to be you, bro. I got nothing for you. Instead, what's he do? Rise. Rise. Take up your mat. Your sins are forgiven. Go on your way. Jesus' death on the cross always points to the love, grace, and forgiveness. Always. One time I was, when I was a youth pastor, I, I really wanted to do this. Never had the, the guts to pull it off. But had this great illustration idea. I was going to buy donuts. And I was going to give every kid a donut who came in. If they said, but... Here was the deal. I was going to have one of the kids. We had some big, beefy football players, some guys who were pretty built. But every kid who came in the door, in order to get a donut, this kid had to do push-ups. This was my idea. I never pulled it off. I really wish I could have. But could you imagine doing... But he would do five push-ups for every person who walked through the door. Like, yeah, that'd be great. If a student said, I don't want a donut, nope, you still got to give me push-ups. Well, I didn't want the donut. That's all right. Still got to do the push-up. Somebody's got to pay for it. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Even if you don't want life, even if you choose to disobey, even if you just say, hey, I don't want the death of Jesus on the cross. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want any of the... Guess what? Jesus still died. He still paid. He's still done it. Whether you choose to believe it or not, he still did it. And listen, you can go all throughout history. We can go back to history. I mean... What I find ironic is people who choose not to believe. Let me, let me just point this out. People who choose not to believe usually choose not to believe based upon somebody else. 
not based upon any investigation or background work or anything that they've done. Matter of fact, two of the greatest Christian apologists in recent years uh, were two men who set out to oppose the gospel. One is a guy named Josh McDowell, and the other one is a guy named Lee Strobel. For those of you who don't know, Josh McDowell grew up in a home where he was beaten, abused, let down, didn't want anything to do with God. He had a friend witness him to one time. He's like, I'm going to set out. I'm going to disprove God. And for two years, listen, he graduated from high school and set out to disprove God. And for two years, he studied and studied and studied everything under the sun, not just Christian stuff, but non-Christian writings about Jesus, about what had happened and things like that. And lo and behold, guess what? After two years, Josh McDowell became a Christian. Because he said, every time I got to a point where I thought I could disprove, God would show me something through not even biblical things at times, of the greatness of Jesus Christ. And Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Christ, and he's since written a ton of other ones, The Case for Miracles, Case for Easter, The Case for Faith, and stuff like that. But Lee Strobel was an award-winning journalist for, I believe, the Chicago Times or Chicago Tribune or something like that, and his wife became a Christian. And as a result of his wife becoming a Christian, he decided, I'm going to set out to disprove Christianity. I'm going to show her that everything she's believing in is false. And so he starts going back into research and everything. And I don't remember if it's two years or four years right in there, but at, at one point, Lee Strobel becomes a Christian, starts following Jesus, and then he writes all these books. But listen to me, every sign that Jesus performed shows God's love, grace, and forgiveness. Whether you choose to believe in God's love, grace, and forgiveness, it still shows it. Number three, why use signs? Because signs show God's authority over life and death. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest miracle of all. Matter of fact, we read early in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection, then everything that churches do around the world is basically useless. It's void, It's, it's, it's in vain. Because we would preach a powerless gospel. We would preach preach powerless good news, but it's okay. Listen, it's okay to have questions about Jesus. It's okay to have questions about faith. And as you dig in and truly examine the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, I have no doubt that God will show you the truth. As a matter of fact, there's a guy named Chuck Colson who wrote a book. As a matter of fact, I I posted this this week um, on Facebook, but I I think this is one of the things. Chuck Colson, uh, great great leader. He's involved in politics. He's dead now, but he was involved in politics back in the, uh, I believe, 70s and 80s. He was kind of just a, a Christian who spoke out on this, and he says this, I know the resurrection is a fact, <laughs> and he was around at Watergate. You have to understand this part, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it, Everyone was beaten. Everyone was tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for weeks. And you're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? No way. See, the reality is when we talk about the signs that show God's authority over life and death, the reality is this. That it's not just that Jesus rose again, but it's that Jesus showed himself to people. And you can even get into the fact of looking beyond biblical text and looking at historical text. And what you will see is that Jesus, the claim that Jesus rose again, run rampant 
outside of Christian circles to the point where that's where we get one of our false ideas or the false teachings that somebody stole the body from the tomb. Matter of fact, if you read in Matthew chapter 28, that's what it says, that the soldiers showed up and the priests and the, the, the Pharisees paid the soldiers to say that somebody stole the, the body. Well, that's exactly what they wanted to play out. Listen to what happens in Matthew 28, verse 7. <clears throat> This is after Jesus rose, he showed himself to Mary and them, and it says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, is now going ahead of you into the Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. In Luke chapter 24, it says, when they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with them who told, them, uh, told this to the apostles. But listen, and, and this is the very apostles of Jesus Christ. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. You gotta be crazy. Remember what I said, the upside down kingdom? I guarantee you the apostles and disciples did not understand the true reality of what Jesus said when he said he would rise again. In fact, that's why when Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified, Peter said, no, you're not over my dead body. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, because you don't understand the plans of God. Listen, Jesus' signs were always to point us to life, to show us the life, to show us God's authority over life and God's authority over death. That's what we just sang about earlier. And then the last thing, is this, Jesus' signs lead us to choose. That's the reality. You got a choice. You have one choice to make, well, really two. You either choose to believe or you choose to deny. You choose to believe and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ or you choose to deny. Listen to what John chapter six, verse 40 says. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. See, that's exactly why Jesus came. He made a way for us to be able to choose to follow him, to follow him wholeheartedly. And listen, here's one of those things that oftentimes takes place. I believe wholeheartedly that there is this situation that God tugs at somebody's heart you know he's tugging your heart, but deep down inside, there's doubt, there's worry, there's fear, there's the thought of rejection by friends or family, because guess what? If I tell them I believe this, they're going to think I'm an absolute whack job. But Jesus said this, that whoever looks to the Son would have life. John chapter 10, verses 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. You have the choice. Matter of fact, there's a verse in the Bible that says it's with the wickedness of a heart that we reject the truth. That right there, listen, is the number one pointer to man's greatest need. Man's greatest problem is sin. I never had to teach myself to be bad. I've never had to teach my kids to be bad. Never. Any parent will tell you that. It doesn't take anything 
for an individual to do bad things. Matter of fact, there are times that I do bad things that I know I shouldn't do. Matter of fact, let me tell you this. If you look to the church as proof of Jesus, you're going to be let down at times. You want to know why? Because guess what the church is made up of? Yeah, sinners. So if you expect Christians to be perfect, I got nothing for you. You're not going to be perfect. Matter of fact, the Bible says that if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. Everybody is a sinner, including Christians, including people who have put their faith and trust in Christ, including people who have been members of churches for 40, 50, 60, 70 years, including people who teach Sunday school, who serve in the nursery, who serve food downstairs, or who go out and missionaries around the world. Those are all people who still struggle with sin. But listen to me, you can also look to the church, and as you look to the church, you begin to see God's grace, you begin to see God's mercy, you begin to see God's love and God's forgiveness. Why? Because in the midst of imperfect, broken, sinful people, God still works in our lives, and God wants to work in yours. You have the choice. And there's no pressure Listen, I'm not one of those pastors who likes to manipulate. I'm gonna, we're going to sing a 10 stanzas of a certain song or we're going to respond a certain way. I don't think that that's one of those things. If Jesus is calling you to put your faith and trust in him, then that's what you do. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, he's master over my life, and believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Simple. Nothing magical. Matter of fact, I could sit up here and say, hey, pray this prayer with me. There's nothing even magical about that. Here's what Jesus wants you to do, that you repent of your sins. In other words, you admit you were wrong. You believe in him, and you confess that Jesus is Lord. He rose again, offering you and I life and life more abundantly. So here's how we're just going to simply do this. We're going to close with a song. We always do this every Sunday. But if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you say, that's me. As a matter of fact, I would even say this, that if you right now believe that that's one of those things that you want to do, then as we start to sing, you can come up and talk to me. You don't have to talk to me up here. You could talk to me afterwards. There is, listen, the church for so long made it about walking an aisle and coming forward. And listen, I believe you got to go public. you got to let people know. But listen, one of the things that happened when you were publicly placing your life, saying, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, you know where you did it at? Wasn't it an altar. What was it in? In baptism. Baptism was my public commitment, saying, I am following Jesus. I put my faith and trust in Christ. I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I need his forgiveness. I'm following him, and that's what I'm going to do. But listen, I want you to let somebody know. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's me. Maybe you want to come up here and talk. You want to pray. I'll be there at the back at the end. But don't leave today without nailing that down. You got a choice. And whether you choose to believe or not is up to you. What is God doing in your heart? Is he tugging? Is he pulling? Is he calling you? Or do you suppress the truth? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. 
I thank you for the fact that just as Jesus looked to the Pharisees and told them there would be no greater sign than the sign of Jonah, God, that today we see the fulfillment of that sign. We see the fact that, God, eyewitnesses lived and died to stand on the truth of the gospel, knowing that Jesus' death on the cross paid for their sins, for my sins, for the sins of the world, and that Jesus rose again. And they talked about it, and they weren't afraid of it, and they weren't ashamed to tell people about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And so God, today I pray as we close with this song, God, that maybe there's this one person here today that would say, I am not ashamed, that I'm going to go public, that I wanna let people know that I put my faith and trust in you.